0: will arkin author of unmanned as well as author of the generals have no clothes which i fought about enough last time and uh as he just asked am i mad at america because i don't have the flag no as several people have asked emailed, texted and called me why isn't the flag up these are supposed to settle for like a month and i'm terrified of them falling down if i hang the flag flag up i still have blisters on my thumbs Shows how much of a bitch I am, that that is my threshold for pain. But um, also your new book, On That Day, coming out regarding 9-11. And I looked on your website, but I didn't see the other book you mentioned, History in One Act. History
1: in One Act. Yes.
0: Mm-hmm. That it's a from?
1: novel about 9-11, okay. told from the perspective of the terrorists, and has some interesting twists and turns oh, wow. about 9-11. And it's a, a rather odd novel because it's also... Uh, fully footnoted. Wow.
0: That's okay, that that'll be a that'll be kind of like Black Hawk Down by Mark Bowden. He has a couple stances where it's from the points of the Somali kids and you're like, "Whoa, whoa, yeah. whoa, what is this?" You're like, "Why why is he taking their side?" And you and,
1: Well, it's not taking a side, sure. but I sort of felt like uh as I began to understand 9/11 better and then uh somebody leaked to me the transcripts of Khalid Sheikh Mohammed's uh, interrogations and I started to read the thousands of pages and the first thing that dawned on me was that well you know this guy as demented as he might be has a worldview mm-hmm. and the worldview was interesting and uh, I started to say to myself you know what why is it that 20 years after 9-11 we still don't have a decent account of what these guys thought what they were all about where they were coming from and and we still don't i mean we we make fun of isis we we you know still treat al-qaeda like they're from another planet and yet uh obviously we manufacture terrorists or the world manufactures terrorists more than we can certainly get rid of them and uh, I thought that it was really important to write about 9-11 from the point of view of the terrorists, like what, what they were thinking, what their lives were like, where they came from, and it just ballooned into this gigantic novel, and uh, that it'll be out on uh, June 6th, so uh, I think it's already in bookstores, published by Featherproof Books in Chicago. Beautiful.
0: Yeah, I, I should have said that incorrectly, not not taking the sides of but in Mark Bowden's book. It's rather use. I guess that shows that right. I guess that shows my own bias as an American. It's taking the sides of in reality, he was just showing their point of view. And he talks about, you know, when a when a when a little bird helicopter comes down, and the miniguns were up and one guy's standing next to his younger brother, and I think he describes his head exploding like a melon. And he decided then and there he was going to tag him he was going to bag himself an american body yeah i mean it's i'm not saying i'm for it but it something drives it you don't just coordinate and plan and fund 9-11 on a whim it's not right it wasn't an impulse what drove it something drove hitler it doesn't mean it's taking his side something drove him and we should understand it um your book unmanned about drone surveillance which and I I think I need to stop saying books are in my new top 10, because I do believe I am losing the value of that statement when I say it to my audience, kind of like inflating a currency. So I'm just not going to say it anymore. But it's already one of my favorites, because much like The Generals Have No Clothes, your other book, which is on Audible, I'll put in the description as always, I believe that it can actually be tied in to The Generals Have No Clothes. It's sort of it's sort of the drone successor to uh, James Bamford's Shadow Factory, post-9-11, Ultra Secret NSA, which I believe is a book he wrote in 2003. Um, but your book, I mean, the, na- the one thing that sticks out to me is like his book, the kind of, just the namings of the different programs. It's, it's like Thunder Bunny, Golden Eye, Cloud Nine, Gold Miner, all these different things in your parallels with the Epic of Gilgamesh. But it really shows this, and I think you pointed it pointed out best in the generals have no clothes, how it's the mechanisms of war. Sure, we have advanced things, we have special access programs, we have light years ahead in technology, but it's our ability to move resources, our ability to coordinate, to always be within X kilometers of the target. You point out in unmanned that it's becoming more and more less it's not the world war one as you said it's not the industrial powerhouse of war send a million men to die it's more so we have just we have one operator and we have 99 enablers whether it's computer technicians whether it's drone pilots whether it's it's becoming this very precise you see the 10 men on the field or however many are on the field on the super bowl you don't see everyone with the headphones and the personal trainers and the dietitians it's this whole team of enablers. The point of me saying all of that is, do you see a point where all of a sudden all of those things start to become automated and the human footprint becomes even less and less and less? And that's a, that's a thing I've pointed towards in this podcast several times is my fear or concern is as things become more automated, the decision-making power falls to even fewer and fewer uh individuals and their ability to if i have a million drones made out of bulletproof armor that take my take my order i don't have anyone questioning orders it's just it's my it's my desire amplified i don't know if i'm if i'm illustrating my concern well
1: I, you are but let me just say tommy that i feel like we can describe the drive towards automation and the drive towards unmanning, having fewer and fewer humans involved in the enterprise of war without ascribing a nefarious actor to it. Okay. It's happening. Anyhow, it's happening. That's what I discovered in writing a book about drones. I think my publisher at one point said, are you actually ever going to mention drones? Um, because, I really wanted to write about the phenomena that drones had introduced within warfare, that there were sort of two things that were happening simultaneously. One, obviously the US military was learning how to use these drones. And and again, drones have been around for a long time, but, but when I talk about the modern generation of drones, we're talking about the ones that fly higher than commercial airliners that are the size of small Cessnas that uh, can loiter for 24 hours in the sky, uh, can deliver a wide variety of weapons or can take and collect a wide variety of intelligence. So that's the modern day drones, the global hawks, the reapers, the predators, etc. cetera. And um, in trying to wrap my head around what, what was important about this revolution, I, I sort of saw two things happening uh, simultaneously, and they parallel things that are happening in our society at the same time. One was uh, this automation that you speak of, uh, that things became more and more uh, uh, machine based, yet at the same time backed up by an incredible back end of humans. They just weren't they weren't required to be on the battlefield. So uh, the translators of the drone, uh, SIGINT that's collected, the eavesdropping in, in, in the Middle East are in Georgia uh, because now with global networks, why do they have to be sitting under the drone? They're, they're sitting, they're comfortably sitting in Georgia doing that work. And the people who are analyzing the imagery are in, are in Kansas and, and, and Virginia and South Carolina. So you see this this, Shift in what the manpower is needed for, and then also where it's located, so if we're conducting wars overseas and um and we're bombing and killing and targeting terrorists um, and yet at the same time we minimize the footprint of the American soldier, there's a kind of arrogance associated with it in our from our point of view that says well you know we we we've protected ourselves better and yet at the same time in an ironic way we're 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 inviting attacks upon the united states itself because we're saying to the terrorists you can't touch us and uh and so where can they touch us they can touch us by attacking in the us and that's essentially what happened with 9-11 and uh and i think today uh, let's just take one example because it's a particular theatrical one that that, that bothers me. When Joe Biden uh, announced the withdrawal of U.S. troops from Afghanistan, I don't know what brilliant idiot in the White House decided that all troops were going to be out by September 11th but by using the date September 11th that theatricality associated with that date we're essentially sticking our chin out there and saying hit us yeah but like like really we had to choose September 11th like don't we understand yeah. that there are other people's minds demented minds involved in this world and and drones are the same thing so what if, so what if we minimize uh, the exposure of U.S. soldiers and 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 we um, safeguard and force protect our uh, the troops. If we make the United States itself and particularly the civilian population of the United States itself more vulnerable, and that's I think why we've seen uh, an increase in homegrown terrorism, Islamic terrorism after after 9/11, and that's why we've also I think. Probably grown a little bit complacent in believing that another 9/11 could never occur, because I don't know about you, but uh, you know, every time I walk through Grand Central Station in New York City, I think to myself, nope, somebody could just walk right through walk here through or the, right with right a suicide on. vest on and blow themselves up. I mean, right uh, so so we have like this fantastic security that we practice at airports, where you got to take your shoes off and your belts off, and the grandmas get get felt up. Yeah. And yet at the same time, uh, there are other aspects of security that we just completely and utterly ignore. Now, that's the nature of our society. And and, and, and it is the nature of our society. But, but when it comes to the National Security Establishment, I want to believe that they have thought through these problems a little bit more thoroughly and understand them a little bit more deeply. And I'm not convinced of that, I, I, I really am not. And so when I wrote Unmanned, a book about drones, I thought, well, I'm gonna come up with you know a, a thesis and a, and a conclusion that says that drones are bad. And, and, and instead, what I concluded was, if drones didn't exist, we, we would be doing something else to affect warfare remotely, But that's the nature. And and so let's bring it back to where people might be able to better understand it. And it and it, it's really in this, right? In in this frickin' smartphone, okay? Where it's not just a phone anymore, it's a computer and it's 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 everything, it's everything. You can't spend your day without once or twice or a million times, you know, saying, Let me look that up on my phone. And 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 think of it like an object that barely weighs ounces uh, that didn't exist two decades ago uh, is now connecting us to the entire universe of information. And, and the, the reduction in size, weight, and power, which is what the military calls swap, is, is the revolution that we also observe in the military itself. That is that 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 this reduction in size, weight, and power facilitates uh, remote killing. And of course, we don't really truly understand what that means in the long-term. You know, ISIS grew out of, uh, uh, it grew out of Uh, the Iraq war and and the inequities associated with the decision-making behind what we were trying to achieve in Iraq, which, you know, get rid of WMD, well, we achieved that because it didn't exist. But, um, and I think that thinking about modern warfare, uh, about the shift in emphasis from uh, uh, soldiers on the front lines to now uh, everybody on the back end uh, is something that also will affect in the future uh, how we start to think about warfare with China and Russia, and uh, part of the shift in the Pentagon to what's called great power competition—the the, you know the post nine eleven era—is. Let's get back to, you know, Marines storming the beaches and the army fighting a tank war in Europe, et cetera, et cetera. Like that's ever gonna happen. Because even if we went to war with Russia or China, It would be a missile-dominated, air-power-dominated war. It's not going to be a land war. And even if the United States of America wanted to rapidly expand the military, even if it wanted to build a World War II force, it would take years to do so because we don't have the size of the military in order to expand. We don't have an industrial base that's able to, to produce Thousands of tanks and thousands of airplanes, as we did in World War II, that world is gone. And again, the reason is that smartphone that, that 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 things have become so efficient that even a drone flying in the Middle East is able to do what hundreds of airplanes and reconnaissance assets in. In, in the World War II era, even as far up through the Vietnam era that they were had trouble doing, right? Today, one Israeli F-16 plane delivering satellite-guided DAMs is able to hit eight separate targets with near 100% reliability. And if you think about hundreds of B17 and B29 bombers being sent out in World War 2 to hit German targets maybe 5% even got through the air defenses and maybe 1% was able to deliver the bomb on the actual intended aim point so the arithmetic has changed and 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 the lethality has changed and all of that has transformed warfare and yet in our planning and in our thinking about warfare and the future we seem to be stuck in old style models while at the same time in our very uh, uh, personal lives in the civilian world. You know, we have reaped all of the benefits of this transformation. It's not like anyone's saying, boy, you know, I'm really looking forward to going back to the day of the analog landline telephone. No one is saying it, and yet the military is yearning to go back to tank warfare and and Marines storming the beaches and good old fashioned Navy warfare. And it's absurd. We need a new theory of warfare, and we need a new model of warfare. And and I think we see it in the edges, you know, cyber warfare we see on the edges and obviously drone warfare is a huge thing because again, you talk about autonomy. I mean, there's already a sort of automaticity associated with what the US military does you know, we're bombing in a dozen countries, we're out there with special ops, in even a more number of countries. And it takes so few uh, uh, humans on the ground to 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 do this. And I think there's an automaticity associated with even drone killing, in which really, like if the president makes a decision, it's not whether or not we should do it, it's whether or not you can reassure me that we're gonna kill fewer than X number of civilians, or it's not gonna make it into the New York Times front page the next day. So the president isn't like saying, can you get the drone to the place where the target is gonna be hit with some degree of reliability? The president is saying, what are the political implications of doing what is automatic? And that's where we are in warfare. And so to me, uh, as we look to the future, uh, whether it be in thinking about the cyber side or thinking about the unmanning of the American military and the increasing autonomy associated with it is not so much that they're doing something to be more sneaky, or to to, or they're doing something to evade oversight. I think it's they're literally doing something uh, that is following the train of where we are in civilian society, and that something, you know, is literally that we don't need to take two cans and put a string between them and you stand on one place and I stand on another and we talk to each other, that the that that the assumption of a global network, the assumption of high speed, the assumption of ubiquitous communications, the assumption of the availability of information everywhere is, is just embedded in the fabric of our of our lives, and it's embedded in the fabric of the US military as well. I mean, you know, right now, there's a little movement afoot in the Army and the Marine Corps to teach soldiers better map reading skills. Why? Because everyone has become so dependent on GPS. And now the fear is that if the Russians or the Chinese are able to jam GPS or destroy the satellites, all of a sudden these guys are not going to know where to go because they don't know how to read a goddamn map.
0: I mean, you're right. And
1: yet I remember when I was in basic training and in intelligence school that map reading was a gigantic part of our course of instruction. And so if you're, if you don't have Google Maps on your phone anymore and you don't have a GPS anymore, then how do you know where to go? And It literally is a skill that most people have given up and And yet for the military, if it isn't some place where it can just plug into electricity and it isn't in some place where it can just pick up the phone and get a dial tone, if it isn't in some place where GPS is available, then what does warfare even look like? And so clearly, the future of warfare is going to be to stop those bits and bytes from moving around the network, because that's what's going to de- to uh, immobilize the opposing society. We don't get, we don't have to worry about Russian missiles or Russian nukes or even you know Russian military if we're able to stop them from communicating and receiving orders and, and, and literally able to jam the guidance systems and, 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 and get into their cyber systems in such a way that they are ground to a halt by virtue of that uh, acrobatics of, of the modern cyber age. Metal on metal, it's a fantasy. It's a fantasy. It's just never going to be the wars of the future. Now that's not gonna say that it's not gonna be the war in Korea or, or, or it couldn't be if we were stupid enough to go to war with Iran. But, but in, a, in superpower conflict, never. It's, we're not going back to that. No one is waking up in America and saying, I would really like to get rid of my cell phone and have a landline and nothing else again in the future. And the very, very, very long extension cord, because how the hell are we ever gonna make our way through life without having the phone in our possession 24 seven all the time? Well, think about it. That's how we live today. But if the network goes down, and that phone then just becomes, you know, what's what's stored on it, a piece of nothing, right? Think about what kind of world we live in. Well, it's the same thing in the military.
0: It, it seems to be a greater and greater bifurcation between, you know, it's post-Cold post, post Cold War. We don't need to be worried about the Soviet tank columns. And then we're shifting to this weird, it's a guy with a beard and sandals in a cave in Jalalabad and they're still but you could still kind of equate that it's almost a one-size-fits-all yes yeah. we still need bombers and soldiers yeah. and the storming but it seems we're moving farther and farther away to where where we are going to physically be on the ground say baghdad versus the big threats of russia and iran and china they're becoming more and more almost like two species diverging one of them is going to be Light speed software disruption. It's gonna be all about who can cut each other's satellites, EMPs, def- uh, defensions against software. And then it's also gonna be can we go diffuse that IED on the side of the road with an old Nokia? It's a weird separation into two beasts. Yeah. And yeah. it it does seem that you know, just like World War One was the sort of an unholy uh Transformation between old-timey marching with the drummer boy versus the Maxim machine gun, and it was like, oh, this is not the whole the watercolor painting of the Revolutionary War, where it's like charge, and it's like, no, that's yeah. not how this works anymore. There's just yeah. big railroad guns. It seems that we're going to be get, we're going in a place where right now we're still romanticizing the Omaha Beach, the the Iwo Jima, the Okinawa and losing touch with the fact that it's as you said drones and software I feel like we're barely going to get our we're barely going to get a grip on drone warfare before that's going to be in the rearview mirror and it's going to be nothing to do with the physical it's going to be software it's you just you just hack their systems before they can even build the drone is it all going to when everything becomes automated Is it just going to purely be in cyberspace? Is that is that the next 20 years, just cyber warfare?
1: Well, I mean, to some degree, again, if we look at civil society, we can see that that's where we're going in general. I mean, uh, I just think about my own life in terms of, you know, the old 286 computer that I started my computing career on versus what I have today you know, which is ridiculously powerful. I remember the day of the 64K floppy disk, you know, that's not even enough to carry one image on today. And I, I, I but I think like, the, we have to also discuss a little bit how the military works in terms of understanding this transition. So here we are in the 20th anniversary year of 9-11 this year. And um, the US military is ingesting new recruits uh, these days who weren't even born on 9-11. So either these kids have known Iraq and Afghanistan and the global war on terror as the sole function of the US military their entire lives. And so I am somewhat sympathetic to the army saying hold on, you know, that's not the military. I mean, the military is about defending the United States against, you know, real enemies. And we need to move away from terrorism to back to the basics, blocking and tackling, you know, getting really back to the basics. And I'm sympathetic to that view, but technology moves so fast, and we have become so dependent upon the software of war, that really uh, the, the main emphasis of training of soldiers today is teaching them how to use the software. and And in fact, the billions of dollars that are not seen in the U.S. military budget are really involved in creating GUIs, you know, graphic user interfaces of various types to make it possible for an apprentice soldier to actually do their job. You know, you can't you can't teach everybody how to how to program. You got you gotta have interfaces that are point and click. Mm-hmm. And well, somebody has to make those interfaces. And there are hundreds, if not thousands of them. And people that need to be taught how to use those interfaces. And those interfaces like our apps on our phones are constantly being Fixed. Bugs are being eliminated. Tweaks are being made to the software to make it more efficient, to make it more user friendly, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. That's really that's that's a lot of what goes on in the military today, and and we just don't we don't see it because again we we kind of think of the military as. You know, marching and guns and camouflage and yeah. and all these things that sort of harken back to a, a former day of the nature of uh, of the armed forces and and so I remember like fifteen, twenty years ago, I uh, had an opportunity to visit an f twenty two unit. that was the first uh, fourth generation uh, fighters and uh, and one of the guys that said to me, You know first of all let me just disabuse you of the fact of how expensive this fighter is because this fighter can not only uh shoot down an airplane from more than 100 miles away uh but it can also collect intelligence that is a a a greater amount than 70 airplanes of the world war ii to vietnam era it can also deliver bombs. It can also do this, it can also do that. It's the, the plane itself is a network node in the sky, blah, 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 when it went on and on and on. And, and, and essentially in the end, it turns out that when you look at the cost of the F-22, and again, I'm not justifying it, I'm just describing it. it it's like half of the cost of the F-22 is is software. Jesus. Programming that goddamn plane to be able to do what it does. So we lose sight on the one hand that the plane is a veritable Battlestar Galactica of our modern era. It's, it's everything. It's, 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 it's entire air forces of yesteryear, one airplane. And yet on the other hand, what makes that possible is this software effort. So when you look at so many of the giant defense contractors these days, you know that the, they're not Lockheed Martin and 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 Northrop Grumman. They are S A I C and Lidos and Mantec and Kaki. And you might look at these multi-billion-dollar companies in the top ten defense contractors and say to yourself, Hmm, what do they do? What do they build? What, what, what product comes off of their assembly line? And the answer is zero. All of these companies are creating software. So they're creating software. That's the nature of the American military. Now, if we're all dependent on software, Then obviously, if you're a clever enemy, and it's not just that the Russians or the Chinese or the or the North Koreans or the Iranians are doing this, we do it too. You want to disable the other guy's software? That's the most effective way of bringing them to a halt, right? You don't want to bomb. I'm not going to try to bomb your smartphone, Tommy. I'm going to just make sure that you can't connect. Yeah, yeah.
0: It's right. We're It's it's kind of a it's kind of an ironic mirroring of uh, of Vietnam, right? It doesn't matter Operation Linebacker or it doesn't matter. We can drop all the bombs in the world from B-52s. We can't we can't bomb the idea. We can't bomb the the almost divine nature of Ho Chi Minh. You can't in the same way. It's why would we bomb their factories if it's just. Well, OK,
1: so now let's let's go into another thing. OK. So, post 9-11, what were we trying to do? Kill Al-Qaeda leadership, right? Kill Bin Laden, kill Mohammed Attef, kill KSM, kill these guys, right? That's what drones were created for because they are the efficient platform to kill an individual. And that killing of the individual has become uh, the objective, even when we're in Burkina Faso or Cameroon or, or or Niger or Somalia, we are still trying to kill the individual terrorist and 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 on a certain level, if you think about it from the intelligence problem standpoint, of course it makes sense. I mean, you got a drone and you got a, a bomb, and you want to hit the most impactful target. And the most impactful target is the leader, because because now we mistaken what the objective there is. It's not that you want to kill the leader because it's the end of the organization. You want to kill the leader because you're disrupting the terrorist activity. And that was the Dick Cheney, Don Rumsfeld. Uh, thought after nine eleven, right? We're going to disrupt the next nine eleven because we might not be able to stop them. But if we create enough of a, of a sandstorm of activity, we're going to disrupt them from being able to put together a fifteen month long plot to attack America, and it worked. I mean, it, it, we know it worked. But now we find ourselves twenty years later with this ability to kill individuals and we saw that in january 2020 when Mm -hmm. we killed the iranian general that uh it becomes what we want to do everywhere so even in fighting against russia a huge part of what now has become the war planning for russia in the future is taking out the russian leadership taking out the command and control so this you talk about a bifurcation but it's it's a bifurcation that's also leading to uh, again uh, a a crossover because the objective in these wars is going to be take out the russian leadership take out the military leadership take out the the central node take out the command center etc because why go and try to kill the entire army when really what you want to do is you want to create that interruption, that disruption. And I think disruption is a really good way of looking at it, because that's really the future of warfare, right? If you can disrupt the supply lines, if you can disrupt the communications lines, if you can disrupt the information lines, then you've won. Yeah. Because, because that stops the other side from moving like, like, war with China, like we are going to be able to move an army to Asia without the Chinese attacking that army on the way. Yeah, right. That's the, and that disruption is the na- is the future of the nature of warfare. And ironically, it connects directly back to drone warfare, because just dis- because drone warfare is about disruption. It's about getting that leader, getting that lieutenant, getting that person who is the person behind the ability to create the, uh, the, the, the WMD, the IED, or whatever it might be. its It's the leader. Now, you know, should we have books that evaluate the question of whether or not the killing of Osama bin Laden actually led to any degradation of Al Qaeda in the future? And I think the answer would be, well, we killed Al Qaeda Central. And and sort of in an ironic way, the industrial Al Qaeda Central of 2001 is gone. But that world is also gone. And so today we have a decentralized, Uh, Al Qaeda. So Al Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula or Al Qaeda in in the Maghreb might still be an operative and threatening organization, even though Al Qaeda Central is gone. And that's really ISIS. That's ISIS, right? It's not that there's ISIS in Syria and we should worry about them only. ISIS is all over the world now operating in 60 countries and each one of those cells, if you will, is an independent entity because that's the nature of networks as well. And that originated as well in the drone era. So as we became more adaptive and as we became more precise and as we became more uh, able to operate in more and more places, so did they. And so today, warfare has become much more diffuse while at the same time, it has become much more concentrated. So there are a few enablers. We talk about you know the ratio of shooters to, to supporters. There are a few enablers, not very many, But if you can take out the GPS and you can take out the central communications and you can deny the internet flow and you can deny the communications flow, I can assure you an army, it is halted and and it it is impotent because that's really the future of warfare. Now, does that mean that we should never buy another tank? I think the answer is yes. I think the answer is yes. Does it mean that we should that we should never buy uh, that uh, you know naval warfare. You know we 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 next time you read an article in the newspaper that says the United States has made a foray into the South China Sea. You know and then you like read down into the third paragraph and it's like one destroyer it's like it's one boat in in a, in an area the size of the entire coast of california i mean it's one boat and and so it's the symbolism associated with military activity that becomes important not The actual hardware associated with military activity it's one boat
0: in 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 a in a world though let's take the opposite view in a world where we could say that just say the ratio is 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 one operator per 99 enablers could we say that one boat represents what used to be a hundred
1: Yes, we could say it except for one really important thing. That boats incredibly vulnerable. Yeah. And once it's gone, what do you have left? Yeah. Zero boat. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where large capital investment, the industrial part of the military industrial complex is becoming less and less important.
0: Okay.
1: That's why unmanned autonomous drones small objects become more lethal and important because in their plenty is the capability yeah why are they working on on swarming and autonomy and and this kind of warfare because because that is the future yeah because because if you have the ability with an airplane or a drone to destroy a tank from a slant range of 25 miles away in the sky what do you give a shit about whether or not that gun can fire a a, a, a tank around 35 hundred meters yeah what, what do you care you don't care because you're now way above it and you're destroying those tanks. And we can do it now reliably. I don't think people even understand that revolution. Tank on tank warfare makes certain sense. If the, if you look at it in a vacuum.
0: Yeah.
1: That as if tanks are the only things that exist.
0: Yeah.
1: But in a world in which You have not only soldiers on the ground who are able to destroy tanks with anti-tank missiles, et cetera, et cetera, but you've got Apache helicopters and you've got longbows and you've got drones and you've got airplanes and all of them become tank killers. So if you're a smart military before those tanks ever reach the border, you've destroyed them all. Tank on tank warfare only works in a vacuum. And this vacuum is something which we don't have. And and, you know, the funny thing is, if you look at the military, the American military, the way it's structured, you know, we have Army, Navy, Marine Corps, and uh, Air Force, and now we have Space Force as well. We talk about jointness, and we talk about multi-domain warfare, and we talk about joint warfare. But the truth of the matter is that we're making the institutions more and more stovepipe and streamlined and, and 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 separate. And so it makes sense that army guys think army, but but to have a true purple military, to have a true joint military, where an air guy and an army guy actually sit together and say, you know, that tank's not really very useful because I can destroy it. Uh, we just don't have it. You know we make a pretense of jointness at sort of uh the national level and 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 we make a pretense of purpleness but at the same time with the creation of the space force what we've really shown is we're going backwards we're going backwards into a more and more bifurcated more and more stovepipe design of what the nature of the military is whereas I want the ship guy and the air guy and the tank guy to have to sit together in the same military service and say to themselves, okay, which one of these objects is more valuable? And ultimately, you're an idiot if you don't think that the object in the air is the most valuable. It is the most valuable. Yeah. And the smaller you can make it and the more plentiful you can make it, that is swarming. Yeah. The better. Yeah. That, it defies geographic limitations. It enables you to operate anywhere on the globe. It is the most efficient and the most autonomous. Yeah. And as long as you introduce the friction of a hill uh, having an impact on a tank or the friction of the water having an impact on a ship, you've eliminated all the advantages of the modern era, which is air power and its attendant sisters which are cyber and space power yeah that's the future it's up there it's not down here
0: yeah yeah it's do you think the b-21 raider the successor to the b-2 bomber the b-2 spirit the the two billion dollars yeah. just you know the 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 pride of the air force if you will i think it's probably more the b-52 that boss yeah club. the b-21 raider so we're taking kind of the, the, the Delta Force of the skies, the super elite, and we are now, that is to have, granted it's all in a special access program, yeah. it's allegedly to have, it can be both piloted and drone operated. Do you think that's a big step, kind of give, giving someone a raise and being like you are now in control of all of West Coast operations, we're kind of giving drones, it's Tom Brady getting a chance to play in the, the NFL. We're going, all right, you are now the B-21. We're moving you from MQ whatever Reaper to now you are the B twenty one. Is that a significant change? Is that showing the trust or the belief in that is where it's going?
1: No, because it's a Battlestar Galactica. Okay. And ultimately, you need to have smaller platforms that are more plentiful. Okay. If you're going to have platforms, you need to have a sufficient number of platforms to survive the enemy. Yeah. So the answer is no. Now. Why is there even a B-21 bomber being produced? It's because there's a triad, a yeah. nuclear triad of submarines, the ICBMs, and bombers. And and nobody's willing to say, you know, do we need all three of these legs of the triad anymore? So that's, that's why. Okay. But if you're thinking about the B-21, think about the cost. When we built the B-2 bomber... You know, it was really a struggle even to build 132 of those monsters because they were so expensive. So how many B-21s do you think we're ultimately going to buy? I don't care what their plans are now. I'm saying under real administrations and real budgets in the future, when the production line opens, how many are actually going to come off the production line? My guess will be it'll be four or five dozen. That's it. And so then each platform becomes that much more vulnerable okay flying in the sky i'm sure that the survivability rate is gigantic i'm sure that it'll be incredibly able to defend itself and stealthy and maneuverable and be able to do triple somersaults with a half twist but on the ground it's dead because yeah and not just bombing the airfields, but taking out the infrastructure of moving it. And and and, and, the, and every plane that's in maintenance is, is, is out of commission and dead. So again, if you're gonna put all of your eggs into a capital metal basket, the end result of it is that you have a very few uh, assets to protect and employ. And so, yes, maybe it's the case that we're moving in the direction of a Battlestar Galactica. I mean, Norman Augustine, who used to be the chairman of Lockheed Martin, wrote in Augustine's Laws, which is probably 30 years old now, that sooner or later the cost of of aircraft is gonna mean we're gonna be able to afford one. Yeah, yeah. And 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 we are moving in that direction. <laughs> if we insist on buying these ginormous, highly capable airplanes but when i hear the idiots out there saying oh my god the f-35 is so expensive we should cancel it it's like okay i'm not necessarily disagreeing with you that it's expensive and we should cancel it but what's the alternative that you're offering that we should have we should have P-51 Mustangs <laughs> out there. We should have biplanes. I mean, what, what kind camel. of an airplane do you want? And so probably what the F-35 debate created, I'm hoping, but I doubt it, is have we reached that point where capability and cost have maximized? That, that, that the F-35 is now so good, and, but yet so expensive, that we can't really afford to be that good. Hmm. That 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 maybe if the F 35 were 5% less good, we would be able to either afford more of them or reduce the cost significantly. Now, let's go back to our smartphones. I have a smartphone, an iPhone 8. Tommy, I bet you you've got a a 15 because you're a ute. You're a young guy.
0: I actually bought a new iPhone last week because I had an 8 with a cracked screen, and I decided for the first time to get a new one. Okay. My my God. You know
1: what? I'm perfectly happy with my freaking 8. Sure. I am perfectly happy with it. But that is not the nature of the military. Yeah. And so the (laughs) F-36, God bless them, is going to be even more expensive than the F-35. And it's going to be even more capable. There is going to be an incremental improvement in capability. But do we need all of that capability? It's not about waste, fraud, and abuse. It's about what the product itself is. And that's the debate we miss. because, Because it's like... Oh, the F-35 costs this, and it, and it wastes this amount of money. And I, I love to say to people who give that kind of critique, so let me get this straight. If it were cheaper, you'd be okay with that airplane. And of course, the answer is no. They're against the military anyhow, yeah. right? And And so really the expense argument makes no sense or the it doesn't work argument makes no sense anymore it doesn't work write me another check i'll make it work
0: yeah yeah
1: you know that's the answer it's not ever it doesn't work and we get canceled we can put on our on our fingers how many weapons in the modern era have actually been canceled the A21 by Dick Cheney the the Comanche by Rumsfeld you know, we can really name them on one hand, how many actual weapons have been outright canceled, like this thing just makes no sense, let's cancel it. But instead what happens is we mostly live in a world where they say, write us another check, we'll make it and work. we'll make it work. Yeah. And so when we critique the military, and I don't mean that even in a negative sense, when we think about the military, What we really have to think about is what the purpose is and then ask ourselves, do we need to spend this amount of money to achieve the purpose? And I think as we go more and more in the Battlestar Galactica direction, whether that be in more and more capable ships or more and more capable bombers or more and more capable platforms, we are ultimately going in the wrong direction because what we need is Plenty, and not more capability. Capability is resident in small platforms today, the smartphone. It we need more of them, and we need them to be more resilient and more survivable. We do not need to have the Battlestar Galactica's of the future.
0: Isn't it, wasn't there a World War II general that said the German tanks are? Are so goddamn advanced and engineered that they can take on four American tanks and they said well, how did we win? We we, we always had five maybe that's where we got to go back to it's the F22 well, it's yeah. not,
1: but it's you know it's just not going to happen yeah, yeah, we don't yeah. have the industrial base for it we don't have the production system for it nobody even wants to spend that kind of money on on metal yeah. i mean the truth of the matter is that, that again when we build that B21 bomber that half the cost if not more is going to be software and uh, and the company that produces it is barely going to be able to produce a dozen or so a year. I think right now in America, if we produce 500 airplanes a year, we'd be lucky. Oh, yeah. And yet that's about the number of airplanes we were producing a day during World War II.
0: I think lot, one of Lockheed Martin's plants was... Uh, pumping out a lightning i think ben rich said they were doing it every 92 minutes
1: yeah, just one of yeah. their plants yeah, right yeah. off the board I mean, a day a day yeah. that, but that world is gone yeah it's just gone yeah, it and, and and so that's when we think about the military and we think about going back to blocking and tackling we should think about what game it is we actually are playing and what game we want to play and that's really how to think about the future of the military
0: i think i I, th- I got you for a couple more minutes i think i can i see where it's going to go if it's it's all avionics it's just updating avionics that's about numbers I'm calling it now the b-52 is going to be flying for another 100 years they're going to update it with avionics and it's going to drop cheap little drones out of the bomb bay doors they're going to be flying the b-52 and 2100
1: I I mean, you know, when we introduced the JDAM, which is a satellite guided bomb in 1999, and it's now in its third generation, highly accurate, highly reliable. The truth of the matter is you could have a flying bus and deliver those things. You don't need a fancy airplane to Mm -hmm. do it. And and so, you know, the Israelis, they're flying, they're shooting JDAMs off of F-16s today. Those F-16s don't have to penetrate into Gaza airspace in order to deliver the weapon. It's a slant range of 25 miles. And so the truth of the matter is that if you have coordinates, you've won the war. And and again, how do you get those coordinates? How do we know precisely where Tommy Kerrigan is? How do we know very precisely inside that building what room he's in? Because that's how precise we need to be. It's exactly that. It's your cell phone signal. It's your it's your it's your human signature, thermal signature, you know, and that's what drives a multi gazillion dollar intelligence establishment. And that's what drives the ability to be able to put the coordinates into the bomb and let the bomb do the work. And so what do you need those expensive airplanes for? There's a lot of answers. I mean, there's a lot. You have to understand that those airplanes are not just doing one function anymore, that they're doing these many, 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 many functions. What entire air forces of yesterday couldn't do. But at the same time, as weapons, the weapons themselves become more autonomous, become loitering. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're building a Tomahawk missile now, we're building some other missiles, I think Griffin, and the small diameter bomb Two, stormbreaker that are going to truly be able to be fired and loiter in the sky, awaiting targeting instructions or else finding the target itself autonomously before it attacks, that is the autonomous revolution. It's already happening jesus
0: we're, we're going back to project pluto right that nuclear powered ramjet they wanted in the 50s it would just circle in the pacific until we told it go to moscow and it's sick yeah. It. it's yeah it's it always goes to, and I, i'm out of time oh i'm out of time with you um but it, it does seem to go and i've made this argument before based on nothing as a biology major not a military veteran it seems like the ultimate end game would be the quickest possible weapon which would be laser and it would be the ultimate loiter which would be orbit i I believe that that would be the true end game would be to have loitering orbital weapons firing at light speed
1: to me well i mean we're already seeing it to some degree with hypersonic weaponry where we're already speeding up the 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 time it takes from a for a weapon to get from point A to point B you're not constrained by ballistics anymore ballistics meaning it goes up goes down same arc um so we're already seeing it to some degree but I think you're wrong okay I think ultimately uh it's not going to be a laser it's going to be something that is beyond a laser and it's not necessarily going to be in space, meaning in far space. It's going to be in near space where it's more maneuverable. Okay. And so my guess is that somewhere in the in the trans atmospheric uh, region uh, with directed energy capabilities that are a combination of both uh, uh, energy and cyber is going to be the future. And it might be a weapon that we haven't really invented yet, or it's going to be a combination stream, if you will, of both uh, light and uh, and cyber bits uh, attacking. Because if you've got a, a, a ICBMs coming to, over the pole towards you, uh, you can try to shoot them down with another missile. Certainly that would be one thing to do. But if you could get, into that missile's guidance system and tell it to fly to the ocean, Yeah, that's a heck of a lot better defense. And I think we're already moving in that direction.
0: Do you know something I don't know? Of course.
1: You (laughs) don't know shit, man. That
0: is... That's why I'm on the show. That's why you're here to, to walk me through this shit. That's, yeah. the, that's the entire basis of the podcast. It's uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, of course come. I know
1: things you don't know. I'm uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, That's the future. That's the future.
0: So maybe, maybe a successor to the X thirty seven B or something that would maybe be close. Well, I
1: think even the X thirty seven B itself has secret missions that you don't Absolutely. know about. Absolutely. And, and uh, you know, and and for all of the nonsense about ufos and the news media these days i think when push comes to sh- well first of all i hope that they're extraterrestrials yeah. i do i personally hope it but the reality is they're going to turn up to be stealthy
0: they're going to be russian
1: men. and chinese craft that we just don't even know what they are yet
0: is, is this our sputnik moment part two where they got- uh,
1: i don't think it's so sputnik because it's 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 because we're doing it too
0: Do you think, do you think that I, this entire podcast in my mind, I was telling myself, I was like, don't bring up UFOs, don't bring up UFOs, (laughs) but I'm so happy you did. Do you think, and I know I'm keeping you, do you think that there's a chance that these are US military and what better way to test them than to test them against our own Navy? What better real world red cell testing than to test them? against It's
1: possible, it's possible, but when I think about a UFO, I think about uh, the RQ-170 uh-huh. and I think about the RQ-180 and I think about uh, uh, other stealth platforms of the past in which people we now know we can actually go back and look that they saw this you know light in the sky or they saw this object and yeah it turned out to be an F-117 it turned out to be you know some some have blue or some mm-hmm. other kind of stealthy platform of the past I believe we're probably experiencing the same thing now. But having said that, God, I hope that they're extraterrestrials. I, I will die. I want to be alive when that moment me, occurs.
0: That is To me, that is the opposable thumb. That's the printing press. Its contact is just, I, I feel like that's what they're doing. They're just, they're, sh- they're shooting across our bow, and they're telling the government, they're like, disclose it, or we're going to come down in greater numbers.
1: Yeah, no. That's that's why, you know, every congr- every congressman, uh, you know, on God's green earth from from the brilliant constitutional scholars to the idiots want to have a hearing where they can say the word UFO because it takes them back to their childhood. It takes them back to fantasy. It takes them back to imagination and who wants to deal with the difficulties of the governance of America when we can talk about UFOs?
0: Exactly. It's so, the I mean, that's, of the masses.
1: <laughs> you no, know, it, it's it's more than that. And again, I say, I believe that it'll turn out to be stealth platforms. It'll turn out to be uh, near uh, you know, near orbit uh, space objects. It'll turn out to be low orbit uh, space objects, et cetera. I mean, we already have hundreds... Of these cubesats and hundreds of these objects up in the air, nobody knows about mm-hmm. most of them. Uh, but 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 somewhere inside my soul, I want to believe that they're UFOs.
0: With every, it's like trying to believe in Santa as you get older. You're like forcing it. You're like it's not mom and dad. It's Santa Claus. Part of me is like it's not. It's not Groom Lake. It's not Skunkworks. I'm like it's. They're from Zeta Reticuli. It's. It's. I hope. I, here's a question. Well,
1: I hope that that sometime in the next five years you'll have one on your broadcast. I, I
0: hope. I absolutely hope. That's who Joe Rogan will have on. Real quick question. Would we even believe the government if they said it was UFOs? <laughs> Would anyone even
1: believe them? Um, you know, once you admit that they're UFOs, then what about all the other things that we yeah. don't admit to? You know, I mean, I I probably get a half dozen uh, emails a week uh, from people who you know tell me that the government is following them, <laughs> is in their teeth, is flying black helicopters, is using directed energy weapons against them, etc. You know, once you once you admit that. That UFOs are out there. Once you admit that, well, even that there are black helicopters, which there are, then then you know the whole facade begins to f- fall apart, and, and then people don't know what to believe anymore. Yeah. And and we're already kind of in that world. I mean, uh, we're already in that world in which people don't believe fact. And 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 I, and I think that there is a danger, but I don't think there's a diabolical a librarian inside the Pentagon or the national security system who is saying, uh, don't say this because of the societal implications. I I really think that uh, they're struggling to uh, probably balance, not revealing tippy top secret programs of their own and their knowledge of same programs on the part of China and Russia, because we don't want to admit what we do know while at the same time answering this public clamoring for information about what these navy pilots saw and what others have seen over the years and you know when uh i think it was uh the rock whatever his name is dwayne, dwayne johnson you know jane johnson gives an interview and says i saw I, or shaquille o'neal just gave an interview where he said i saw a ufo once it's like well, you O'Neill saw UFO once, but you know, you say the word UFO and it's fabulous. Yeah,
0: it's well, UFO is also subjective. If you're an uncontacted yeah, tribe in the Amazon and you see a seven forty-seven, that's a UFO because you've only ever seen birds.
1: It's, well it's only a UFO if it's flying, yeah, Tommy.
0: Yeah. So let's be active. Okay, 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 fair enough. It's <laughs> yeah, I've I've you know, I've also said that it, man, what a perfect plausible deniability weapon if we said it was UFOs but it was ours. We'd be like, I can't believe those UFOs keep attacking Moscow and Beijing. Why did they attack the Iranian nuclear plant? Like that is crazy. It wasn't us, but I've kept you for ten minutes longer than I said I would. Bill, okay. Bill Arkin. Thank Get a so fricking
1: American flag, boy. I will. And put it
0: up behind you. I will. I will. It's it's in the even window. if you have
1: to hang it from the ceiling. Okay. I don't want to just look at 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 you know your your <laughs> what do we call this? There, even? I there, guess your monument to yourself and your own importance, there, isn't it? There,
0: it it is. It's, we are in we are in the the we are in the chapel of Tom no it's, uh, uh, it's
1: really the garage and you don't have pants hey, on hey so. hey, hey okay, yeah you say hey,
0: you know what that's that's special access program that's classified <laughs> this podcast is canceled i don't know you yeah i'll put it i'll put it up it's got to go up all
1: it's, right thank hey, you so much hey, thanks for having me on man.
0: absolutely unmanned everybody go get it it's a fantastic book it's up there with the generals have no clothes it's terrifying side note you need to narrate all your books you have a fantastic narration voice
1: God, I hate doing it, and I'm not going to ever do it again. It's it's legitimately
0: uh, great. It's fantastic.
1: Thank you very much. Hey, thanks for having me on. Absolutely.
0: Take care, everybody. God bless America. Stay safe, everybody. You have a good one. The
1: recording has stopped.